Welcome to this week's Oxcast, your weekly roundup of all the best events happening in and around Oxford. It's Wednesday the 14th of October and today I am here with Mike and Michael. Hello. I'm one of the above, I can't remember which. <laughs> Michael. Thanks. Okay. What have you guys got then? Today I've got Venetian Masters, a day of local music and a cinema roundup. I've got Disputes, Dreams and Dragons. And I've got Poets, Pots and Poltergeists. Just before we get started, I'd like to remind the listeners about the Freshers' Competition. There are so many good prizes you can win. All you have to do is enter your name, your email address and your preference. We let you choose your prize. It's great. I mean, there are pies and bikes and burritos and meals out. And It's great. It ends on Monday the 19th, so please enter now. It's so simple. Check out our website. On to our Oxford fact. Mike, I believe you have something to do with coffee. Ah, well, yes. So you found this one out, actually, Katie, didn't you? Yes. Um, that Oxford claims to have the first coffee shop in England or Europe. I've been looking into this and it's quite complicated because two places uh, stake a claim to it. There is Queen's Lane Coffee House, which is on Queen's Lane, and the Grand Cafe on High Street. Grand Cafe says that it's built on the site of the oldest coffee shop in England, which uh, 1650. And the Queen's Lane says it was established in 1654 and is still serving, making it the oldest coffee shop in Europe. I've been looking very much into the history of coffee and it's very, very exciting. So coffee was first noted in the West, in Aleppo, by the German botanist Leonard Rauwulf in 1573. And then through sort of the large trading metropoles and ports like Venice and places, it started being traded into Europe. But after 1573, really, it became popular really quickly. And sort of in 1600, Pope Clement VIII condoned the use of it for the Catholics because because it was a bit of a jug. It got banned several times after that. You just have to drink enough and you can hear colours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely being used before 1600, though, but only at the very end of the 16th century. And so looking into the history of coffee houses, Queensland comes up very early and is kind of recorded as being... 1654 and in the same place as it is now so that's definitely true it seems difficult to believe that if coffee was coming in through people like the east india trading company that there wouldn't be first coffee houses in port cities i mean yeah. basically yeah. london and so there is one in london which is saint michael's alley coffee house which is in cornhill which is 1652 Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and also in kind of the records for osney abbey uh, from the kind of middle of the 17th century, they reckon that in 1655, a coffee house was opened at 90 High Street, which, um, interestingly, is now Patisserie Valerie. Oh. Yeah, so basically, by 1675, there were over 3,000 coffee houses in England, so that was what, within 25 years. So I think it's basically really difficult to say where the first <laughs> one was. But, you know, they're very, very old, both Queensland and Grand Cafe. And also Grand Cafe is, um, is wicked because in its current state and uh, decor is evocative of you know the uh, Vienna coffee houses during the fin de siècle which obviously were incredibly important for the modernist movement I was there a couple of summers ago and uh, the tour guide we were with was saying that a few poets just had their addresses at the coffee houses because <laughs> they've been there every day so you might as well get letters sent there wow. yeah so maybe that could be you <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to send us an Oxford fact then tweet us at Daily Info Oxford fabulous Right, on to our first event for the week. We've got Stomp at the New Theatre. Now, you've all heard of Stomp. 
I assume. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was created in 1991 for the Edinburgh Fringe by Steve McNicholas and Luke Creswell. And over 14 million people in 50 countries across the world have seen Stomp in the 20-odd years it's been running. Wow. So it's supposed to be like Blue Man Group in its popularity. Exactly. It seems really popular in New York. I sort of assumed that it was American. But no, mm, yeah, it was yeah. created in Britain. We've got a bad bin lids, I think. <laughs> More recently, Stomp has featured in the closing ceremony for the Olympic Games in 2012 and for this tour have added two new pieces called Frogs and Trolleys. Now, Frogs is described as a piece which explores the bizarre sonic possibilities of a variety of plumbing features and I assume means they're going to try and be like frogs. I'm trying to work out how that's going to be but I don't think it'll be anything like the frog song. (laughs) (laughs) And Trolleys is exploring the everyday situation of trying to navigate a busy shopping aisle with a full trolley and trying not to bump into people. Oh, uh, which I bet they do. I bet they do bump well, into maybe people. maybe they do. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> they use a variety of everyday objects as their instruments, from brooms, folding chairs, water cooler bottles, bins and newspapers. They're pretty fascinating. What would you guys use as your instrument of choice? I'm just looking around the studio now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, there's pencils, there's um, some glitter hairspray, but that's quite good. I mean, these are quite visual things. Yeah. Michael's good at music. Hit some things, make some noises. Um, <laughs> this is Daily and Photo Stomp. Okay. Oh, here's a fork. We're doing this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not, I don't know. No, no, that's well, that was lovely. Thank you, guys. <laughs> nothing very uh, resonant here. I would I would use a watercolor bottle. Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually busked with a guy who was using it as the drum, and That's you can cool. get some really good, really good deep river rock. Oh, cool. Yeah. If you would like to be inspired by Stomp and start your own band, as we seem to be doing <laughs> right now, check out Stomp at the New Theatre. It's running from today until Saturday at various times, and ticket prices start at seventeen ninety. From musical movements onto artistic movements, Michael, what have you got for us at the Ashmolean? Starting tomorrow, we've got an exhibition at called Titian de Canaletto, Drawing in Venice. And from the site, the Ashmolean considers that drawings kind of been written out of the history of Venetian art. Because uh, I guess I had a, here's the idea of Venetian 16th, 17th century art as being like bright paintings of muscular mythological figures, <laughs> which is kind of true. Mm. Um, there are like court portraits as well, but apparently it's the painted work that's almost exclusively focused on. So there have been there have been a, a few exhibitions that have looked at drawings as well, but let's redress the balance. So lots of the works, just over a hundred, I think, um, at the Ashmolean are on loan from the Uffizi in Florence. This exhibition is run in collaboration with them. So yeah, many of the works on loan haven't been seen for more than a half century. Um, I don't know where really where you keep those in your private collection, <laughs> our own special house. Oh, yes, uh, but now they're on show. Uh, it looks pretty fresh if I do say so myself so it's not just sketches for painting but drawing as a discipline in itself which they're exploring why draw when the palette is so broad and when the the thing to do is paint colorfully and freely uh, so the show will be looking at the purposes and techniques of Titian, Bellini and Canaletto and many others in draftsmanship tracing the evolution of style from 1500 to 1750 which is when the first academy of art was founded in Venice. Oh, wow. So having a look at what continuity there was there, which is the part that interests me history-wise. 
Also, there's a parallel exhibition at the Ashmolean in which Jenny Savile has produced drawn and painted work in response to the main exhibit and to Venetian tradition. Ooh, we've so had a lot of great drawing exhibitions on in Oxford recently, actually, haven't we? There's yeah. That recent one at Christchurch, which might still be going on, actually, with um, some fantastic drawings in. And there's also one a couple of years ago, probably, with drawings from the big Renaissance masters at the Ashmolean yeah. with Da Vinci yeah. and... Uh, Raphael and stuff. It's fantastic. It's amazing to see, sort of, because everyone's familiar with a lot of the big paintings of those masters. Um, but then to go to the drawings, it's very much you get much more of an understanding of the process, and that you know this art isn't yeah. universal and it's just kind of dropped out of the sky, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. has been worked on and laboured over. Yeah, I like that kind of behind the scenes look at things. So yeah, it's great that they're uh, grabbing a modern artist and drawing it in a thematically cool way. Mm. I don't know any of her work. Have you looked at any? Um, yeah, she was at Modern Art Oxford a few years back when I was there. She she painted the, the cover of the Manic Street Preacher's Holy Bible. Oh, right. If you think of like, yeah. those almost Lucian Freud-esque... Yes. Like, triptychs. That's her. She's, oh. she's Yeah, she's quite, she's quite famous. Her uh, show of Modern Art was big. So the exhibition is running from tomorrow, Thursday, until New Year, closing in on the 10th of January, so says the website. And tickets are £10, £9 concessions. Entries free for members and under 12, so. Okay, so yeah, from classical drawing to classical music. So the Oxford Leader Festival is starting this Friday, which is super exciting. If you don't know it, it's this massive annual festival that's, I don't know, as long it's been going, years and years and years. And it's built this enormous sort of global reputation. It's one of the, the best places for one of the biggest leader festivals in certainly Europe now. Yeah, and so this year they've got over 80 different events, and that's um, not just concerts and recitals, but also masterclasses and poetry readings and um, pub trips and lots of great stuff. So, you know, if you're not that into classical singing, then there's still stuff for you to go to. It's amazing. It's in venues all over the city, like the Hollywell and the Sheldonium, uh, which you'd expect, but also the JDP and the colleges like Exeter and Harris Manchester, um, St John the Evangelist, and loads of great stuff everywhere. Um, and yeah, so they have a theme every year, and this year's is Sing Words, Poets and Their Songs. So if you don't know what leader is, it kind of came about in the 19th century, and is, it's the German word for song, and strongly associated with early romantics like Schubert and Schumann, and that's why a lot of people don't like it, because it's one very specific period of music and one very specific style that not everyone gets, which will obviously happen. But leader from there, it's more a concept of stylistic writing than the actual musical lexicon that went into it so it's very much about the stories that are told and about the poetry and it's about how the words will interact with the vocal line and with the um with the music to generate good accompaniment and really cohesive things and because they're so short it's kind of like short stories so they're really intense really quick experiences i imagine they're actually quite difficult to write because you have to get such an intensity so fast but yeah so 80 different events. It was very difficult to choose anything that you might want to go to, or because you want to go to everything, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got three concerts. Um, the first two prove that it's not just Schubert and Schubert. first one of those is called Dreams, and it's on the 30th of October at 10pm. It's got a bunch of different singers singing because there are a lot of different songs. But it's in exploring the trope of dreams and leader, and that's a fairly common idea, especially in the older stuff, because... It represents other themes of longing and loss. And is the idea of dreams and awakening from dreams is used quite commonly to get contrast in the music. But this programme, for this one, is centering more on 20th century stuff. So there's some foray in Debussy, who did some fantastic songs, actually. 
There's also Berg, Cowell and Crum. The Berg's going to be really interesting because of his position as a modernist, where obviously there was the idea of innovation and trying to break away from traditions while kind of continue the tradition of Austro-German centricity at that time. So composing in what, by that time, this is the early 20th century, was a fairly worn out and bourgeois idiom really, must have been a massive challenge. And the Crum as well. Crum is a composer that perhaps not that many people have heard of at all. I yeah, I'd no. Yeah, so George Crumb, he was American and heavily influenced by things like the Vietnam War um, and deeply affected him. And he has some really haunting works that often use electronics. So his songs will be fantastic, I reckon. Really good. So my next one is uh, Shropshire Lad, which is 29th of October at 6.30 at the Hollywell Room. So this is the Houseman cycle of poetry. And because there's no, it's never been composed into a whole cycle of leader. It's got works by Vaughan Williams, Butterworth, Orr and Ireland and a couple of others. And um, I've chosen it more of a love for early 20th century British music than uh, anything else. Yeah, the Hausman cycle is a pastoral idol, really. And a lot of the composers were uh, criticised as cowpat composers, as they're called, being <laughs> too pastoral. I really like it. A lot of people do, actually. Um, and this concert has loads of music, loads of songs interspersed with readings of the poetry. So I reckon that's going to be good. I reckon you can check that out. And the last one, which unfortunately does prove that it's mainly Schubert and Schubert, <laughs> is uh, Winterizer, uh, which is on the 16th of October, and it's one of the kind of closing recitals. Yeah, so Winterizer, if you don't know, is Schubert's massive, really important and really famous cycle. And it's being performed by Ian Bostridge and Thomas Ardis, Whoa. which is just astronomical. Who so Ian Bostridge is one of the premier tenors in the world and he's almost definitely the premier leader tenor okay. um, and Thomas Addis is this fantastic composer and also a pianist um, and they've been performing Winterizer together kind of for the last couple of years it's really important to the both of them and that's just going to be a fantastic concert <laughs> it's sold out but there is a waiting list so you should get on that and it's just oh so excited <laughs> <laughs> the host for leader festival there are loads and loads of stuff again it's running from Friday 16th to Saturday 31st of October at various times, various places, but check out our website and their website and everything you need. So Katie, how are you going to follow the leader? I'm following the leader with a talk about Ted Hughes, which is taking place on Friday the 16th and is totally free. This talk is entitled Ted Hughes, The Unauthorised Life, and will feature the unofficial autobiographer Jonathan Bates talking with Seamus Perry Oliver Taplin and Ted Hughes's cousin, Anne Farrar Donovan, and they will be discussing life writing, poetry, and the poet himself. Now, if you don't know Ted Hughes, he was the official poet laureate from 1984 until his death in 1998, and he had quite a sad life. It was sort of filled with tragedy. He's most known for his marriage to Sylvia Plath, who sadly committed suicide in 1963, and Hughes has actually been partly blamed for causing her to commit suicide. The lady who he left her for, Asia Werthel, then committed suicide only six years later and also killed their daughter. Whoa. Oh dear. There's a lot of tragedy in his life. The biography isn't light reading. Fans of Plath have continued to be angry at Hughes's treatment of her. He was known as a womanizer and have scratched off his name on her gravestone so it's not great he was happiest outdoors and had links with the royal family including deer stalking with the prince charles so this is an unofficial biography initially it was given blessing by carol hughes's widow 
But this blessing was then withdrawn, and so the autobiography focuses on his life rather than his poetry. It sounds really interesting, and I think it'll be interesting to hear more about the man behind the poems. Mm. So if you are interested in going, check out Ted Hughes' The Unauthorised Life at the Andrew Wiles Building on Friday, and it's totally free. It kind of follows on from last week's podcast, where it was National Poetry Day. Yes, it does, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Got good a good thing. continuing theme here. If you're a, a budding poet and you want to send us any Oxford poems, then write to us at info at dailyinfo.co.uk. If you're in need of art supplies, why not check out our other sales page? You could become a master. Wow. Let's keep encouraging creativity. If you're inspired by either Stomp or the Leader Festival, I've definitely seen tuition in dance and vocal abilities, singing and language online. Check out the tuition page. And also you can follow us on social media uh, at Daily Info Oxford. Now back to Glorious OX4. You might be able to hear some of the sounds of Kylie Road in the background <laughs> at the moment, but some slightly more orchestrated and intentional sounds are happening <laughs> at the Ox Jam Oxford Takeover this Saturday, uh, which is in East Oxford, as I say, and in Whitney. It's happening all across this month, all across the UK, uh, various cities. Um, Ox Jam is a volunteer-run pop-up festival that feeds into Oxfam, as you might imagine. The big day here in Oxfam's hometown, whoop whoop, represent, <laughs> um, is, as I say, the 17th, Saturday, and the epicenters for the takeovers activity are our dear old truck store on Kylie Road and its sister store, Rapture in Whitney, which been around a long time. Mm, but there are lots of other gigs going on in different venues and stuff, aren't there? Yeah, they've got like 40-something artists. Wow. Artists of all ages, but lots of them. Um, not 40-something-year-old artists. <laughs> playing at various venues, including some of the usual haunts, the, the library, the Cape of Good Hope, and also Joe Perks, Fusion Arts, and the Cowley Retreat. Um, at those three under-18s are very welcome, so everyone's invited. I'm going to be heading along to find out which local acts are worth following. No names have yet been released. Oh, don't know. it's a mystery. It's, it's, it's a bit of a... It's a, bit of a Christmas stocking, really, isn't it? Yeah, which is part of the excitement. Um, the way it works is you pick up a wristband. It's £8 per wristband, which is your way into all the venues. And you can spend pretty much all day going from venue to venue. It starts at 2pm until late. So tickets were on sale in truck from yesterday. Keep an eye on Twitter uh, if you're getting them from there to check their availability. Or we got tickets, has some too. It all proceeds bar half the booking fee, which is very small, go to charity. And guess which charity? So yeah, that's the Oxcham takeover this Saturday, the 17th of October. And that's £8. And now for something completely different. But, <laughs> well, to be fair, it's a competing event on Saturday. But go to lots of things. This is Kappa Hacker Tale, which Katie is very excited for. Pardon? The, the what? Kappa Hacker Tale. This is at Pegasus Theatre at 2 and 6pm. And it's actually a touring show, so catch it in Oxford while you can. Yeah, we're all really excited about it, actually. It's a fusion dance, storytelling and digital event. What's not to like? What's not to like? That's all the things. When it celebrates traditional Māori culture. Um, and it's staged by Corey Baker Dance, which is a fairly vibrant new dance company. That they were at Calero Carnival last year, actually, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, so it's centred around the traditional Māori story of Hinamora and Tutanakai. And that's a really famous New Zealand story. That's, uh, it takes place on Lake Rotorua, which is a really famous big lake. And I think it probably comes from the fact that, you know, stories come from natural things often. And it's about two lovers from different tribes 
which obviously has parallels with Romeo and Juliet and Greek stuff. And they're separated by the lake, which is enormous. Uh, Hinamoa's father, the dragon warrior, <laughs> has forbidden her to visit Tutankai by dragon. Tutankai plays his flute on this island in the middle of the lake and Hinamoa follows the sound and swims there and ties some reeds to herself so she can float. And they finally end up together. It's a nice, happy ending. It's great. It's full of fantastic imagery because it comes from this natural place. It's a real place. So there's a lake and Taniwa, which is supernatural creatures. And the Cory Baker team have chosen to display that through really spectacular digital effects. Um, but they're also, they are a dance company. So the real thrill is going to come through the fantastic dancing. And they're um, combining traditional elements of the Mori Hacker, which is, you know, the thing the rugby players do which is really physical and visceral dance and forceful too, but they're combining it with more contemporary dance and choral singing and other fun stuff. Cool. Part of the Pegasus Family Arts Festival, but you know it's also for adults and it's going to be a great show. So yes, that is Kabahaka Tale at the Pegasus Theatre this Saturday, 2 and 6pm, and it's £9 for adults, £6 concessions. On to next week, if you are trying to get into the mood of Halloween, slightly less spooky things are starting to happen in Oxford. One of the venues who is fully embracing Halloween this year is Oxford Castle Unlocked. I chatted to Carla Buckingham, a tour guide from Oxford Castle, about their latest Halloween-themed events. So the first one is Spooky Tours. Oh, so what's that about then? Okay, so Spooky Tour is it's a bit different. It's all about tricks of the mind. And you go in, you get a tour guide for 50 minutes, and they're talking and weird things might happen. It's a bit bizarre. Like maybe a trick of the mind and it is great fun it's more concentrating on the ghost stories of the castle the ones that have had many sightings uh, across the years so you do get a bit of history as well so it's a bit different so if you're yeah you're a bit timid you don't want to try our full-on scare that's perfect for you but it is for 12 and up okay and what days of the week does that run so every thursday in october and november they run every half hour from 6 till 7 30 and uh, it's 12 pound per person brilliant so if you want to sort of be eased in gently, yeah, exactly. this would be the, the one way. for you. Yeah. Okay, that sounds that sounds about my level. Yeah, it's mine as well. Okay, that, yeah. that brings me comfort. On to the, <laughs> the slightly more terrifying sounding Terror Tuesdays. What makes the Terror Tuesdays so horrifying? Again, it's more of an intense experience. Uh, Tom and Tiris, who have been hands in designing it, as well as Joe and Sam, they've really worked hard in looking at not just constant jump scares it's it's a mixture of all sorts of things and again the building atmosphere really helps you are in darkness for a lot of it so it really isn't for people with nervous dispositions at all um the experience takes around 10 minutes and it's following a girl called julia something has happened to her in the prison and i don't want to ruin it no. but you you find out it's, a, it's got a tiny story with it and you find out what has happened to her oh and why everyone is acting very strangely for more info about the spooky goings on of oxford castle the more historical tours and even a ghost story oh. that's right get scary <laughs> check out this week's oxcast extra we realized there's so many great films going on that we thought we'd do a bit of a, a bit of a celluloid tour so, yeah, Steve Jobs, the movie, is on general release next month, on the 13th of November, uh, but we'll have pre-screenings at various Odeon cinemas around the country. So it's here in Oxford this Sunday, the 18th, at 7.30, being live-streamed from London, I think. So the films hope to right some wrongs from the inexplicable Ashton Kutcher vehicle from a couple of years ago. The cast is great this time around. Danny Boyle's directing and Aaron Sorkin's writing. 
a really exciting thing about it is that Steve Wozniak, who was Steve Jobs' partner, has actually proved that he really likes the film. Oh. Which I think, looking at the trailers, that's quite telling of their relationship. <laughs> yeah, some of Jobs' other friends have spoken out against the film. There's obviously a lot of dramatising going on and you can kind of see why the character of Jobs would have alienated people. Get a preview on Sunday. And that's Mr. Fassbender. That is, Mr. that is Mr. Fassbender as, as Jobs. And next, Macbeth. Fassbender's at it again. The Scottish play becomes a Scottish movie and an expansive adaptation full of battle scenes and psychological torment. It's a great film. Fassbender does an excellent Scottish accent. It does it's look amazing. Cinematically, it's probably the best Shakespeare play on film mm. that I've seen. It's very creepy and atmospheric. Mm. Do they do it in the original Shakespearean yes. language? Yeah, yeah, they, they do. do. Yeah. There are a few intentional tinkerings with the text. Ah, so watch out for those. Ah, so Suffragette next. We break windows, we burn things, because war is the only language men listen to. Classic Delian for parties, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big quote from the film. Um, it's awesome cast, again. Kerry Mulligan, yes. Meryl Streep, regal as Emmeline Pankhurst. And Brendan Gleeson trying to stamp out the civil disobedience of the suffrage movement. Also the magnetic Amory Duff. It's starting conversations already. Get involved. So after Michael has corralled this week's films into a useful pen for you to digest, all the listings for films in Oxford are on our website. You should check them out. If you want to try out all of the coffee shops in Oxford, check out our oh. venues page for cafes and restaurants. We're currently in the search for Oxford's best coffee shop. <laughs> yes, if, we are. If you have any suggestions, then do let us know on social media. And also send us in reviews if you've had a particularly good cup of coffee. And yeah, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Mm. 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 Daily, daily, daily info. Mm. Daily, daily, daily info. Mm. Daily, daily, daily.